The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us pray. Stir up your power, Lord Christ, and come. With your abundant grace and might, free us from the sin that binds us, that we may receive you in joy and serve you always. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. first reading this morning is from the book of Micah, chapter 5, verses 2 to 5. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathath, you are one of the little clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth. Then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, 
in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, 5 to 10. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, See, God, I have come to do your will, O God. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. When he said above, 
You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, See, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And it is by God's will that we have been sanctified to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said,
This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You're good. Earlier this fall, an employee from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service named Amy Trahan checked a box on a form. Now, Trahan spends an awful lot of time filling out forms and checking boxes, most of which are formalities that no one really pays much attention to. But this time, the box was different. After she checked the box, people from around the world started criticizing her for getting ahead of herself. After she checked the box, Trahan said that she sat down in her office and cried. And Trahan was completing a form about the ivory-billed woodpecker, and the box that Trahan checked said, delisted due to extinction. The last confirmed sighting of an ivory-billed woodpecker was back in 1944. And in the 75 years since, people turned up from time to time claiming to have seen one down in the bayou, but no one ever got more than a glimpse or documented the sightings. But as long as it wasn't extinct, it seemed possible that they had seen one. And that's why people were so upset. The director of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, which is like the Harvard of Ornithology Labs, captured that feeling when he criticized Trahan's decision to check the box. When you say something is extinct, he said, quote, little is gained and much is lost. What's lost, of course, aren't the birds. The birds don't care what's on the form. What's lost is the sense of possibility. And that lost sense of possibility is the subtext for our readings today. Let's begin with Micah. Micah, the prophet, is writing right about as the Israelites are about to go into exile. The Israelites have put their trust in a charismatic ruler, a king who can fight off the other nations. Jerusalem, the city of God, is surrounded by walls that tower to the heavens, and the whole thing works great up until the moment when it doesn't work at all. The Assyrians show up, and the judge of Israel, who seemed so powerful, collapses. Micah says, with a rod, they strike the ruler of Israel upon the cheek. They're making fun of him. And even more depressing are the walls. The walls of the city, meant to keep you safe, are now the cause of your demise. You notice how Micah refers to the invasion, not as an attack, but as a siege. And the whole point of a siege is that you don't have to fight it head on. You just surround the city, cut off the supplies, and wait everybody out. The people can either starve or surrender. And the damage of that isn't just physical, but mental. Because if you're in Jerusalem, what you have right now is all that you're ever going to have. To live in a city under siege is to live in a city that has no new possibilities. You can already see every resource, every option, every choice you're going to have. It's starve, surrender, there's no option C. And it's that situation that the prophet Micah speaks into. A situation where there's no possibility of anything other than what we can already see. 
And the prophet declares that God is going to act, but God's going to act in a new way. Instead of just doubling down on the militarism and exceptionalism that got them into this mess, God's going to act in a different way. God's going to raise up a shepherd who brings in a peaceable kingdom, and the shepherd isn't going to come from the prestigious environs of Jerusalem. They're going to come from Bethlehem, which Micah calls the little clan of Judah, which is a diplomatic way of saying not really important. When the people feel as if they have no possibility, God creates new possibilities. And God does that by acting in ways that don't line up with our expectations and desires. And you heard another example of that, too, even, in the, today's Gospel reading about Mary and Elizabeth. Mary has just been told by the angel Gabriel that she will bear a son through an act of divine initiative. And we often assume that the virgin birth is just there to get Jesus into the story free of sin, but there's something else going on here. And Elizabeth and Micah both show us what. Remember, the central promise of the Hebrew Bible is that God will bless the nations of the world through the descendants of Abraham. And so as long as there are new descendants entering the world, it's possible that promise will be fulfilled. But sometimes it looks like there aren't new possibilities. If you're Micah and your city is under siege, that promise looks like it's in peril. Your community is closed off. If you're Elizabeth and you're unable to have children, you're starting to doubt your own role in that too. In their world, the survival of people is how God's promise works into the world. And so when Mary greets Elizabeth, Elizabeth shouts for joy, not just because she's happy for Mary, though she might be, but because God has remained faithful to the promise their ancestors received. Mary even says this explicitly, I think it was verse 5 of the hymn we just sang, that God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors and to his descendants forever. God keeps the promise alive by creating new possibilities in places we don't expect to find them. Now, to be sure, there are places where there are not new possibilities. There are partnerships and relationships that are irreversibly broken. There are medical treatments that don't work. There are species that die out. And we can acknowledge that. And like Trahan, sometimes you just have to get it over with and check the box. But that's not every situation. There are many times and places when we feel like we don't have options because we're looking in the same places and for the same people over and over and over again. We expect God to work through a charismatic king, and when we don't have a charismatic king, we wonder why God isn't doing anything. We expect peace to come out of Jerusalem, and when Jerusalem is closed off, we wonder why God won't do something more. The issue here isn't that God isn't doing anything. It's that we've walled ourselves off from seeing the possibilities that do exist. So whenever we encounter a situation where there doesn't seem to be any chance of new possibilities, we should be open to the idea that maybe there's something we're not seeing, 
or that our expectations for where and how God acts might be obscuring our vision. Let me give you some examples of this. Whenever we encounter someone who seems to have nothing positive to offer the world around them, and we're tempted to write them off for good, we might pause and ask what we're not seeing, what we're not looking for, what we're not expecting. Whenever we encounter someone we don't like, whoever you're thinking of in your head, you should ask, what does this person have to reveal about my identity in Jesus? Why does God want to be in a relationship with this person? And what possibilities am I not aware of? Whenever we encounter an institution that we feel like is incapable of offering anything positive, we might reflect on how we've come to that judgment. Whenever I call a school, a neighborhood, a church, a library, an organization, good or bad, what am I actually evaluating here? What am I choosing not to pay attention to, and what possibilities am I not aware of? And we could say the same thing about ourselves. When we encounter ourselves and tell stories about our lives, what do we leave out? One of the things that's most remarkable to me doing pastoral care and counseling with people is how rigid their stories are about the kinds of people they are. Whenever we approach a situation where we feel like the outcome is a foregone conclusion because we know the kind of people we are, we can pause and ask if there's something that we're not seeing. What is God doing in and through me? What possibilities are there that I might not be aware of? Micah, Elizabeth, and Mary invite all of us to create space in our lives for the design of God's great love. Space for hope, space for possibility, space to be wrong, and space for Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Let's join the church around the world confessing our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Invite the assembly to sit or kneel for the reading of today's prayers. Your mercy is great. Creator of God, you proclaim your boundless love for all that you have made. Renew the barren land, polluted waters, and open ice packs. Make us servants of your creation that brings that brings forth abundant crops. Make us servants of your creation that brings forth abundant life. Your mercy is great. Your mercy is great. Your mercy is great. Your mercy is great. Mercy is great. We offer these prayers in the name of one who turns us towards you, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. May the peace of the Lord be with you always.
and also with you. Hey. That was quick. You're good. So we're going to go up now. Look upon us in compassion and not in judgment. Of our praise, a dwelling place for your glory. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you, Almighty and merciful God, through our Savior Jesus Christ. You comforted your people with the promise of the Redeemer, through whom he will also make all things new in the day when he comes to judge the world in righteousness. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, then and earth forever glory. O God, triune, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Over the ages, your merciful might evolved this home, a fragile tree of life. Here, by your wisdom, are both life and death, growth and decay, nest and hunt, sunshine and storm, darkness and light. O God, triune, you took on our flesh in Christ, our healer. In Jesus, you bring life from death, so we remember his cross and we laud his resurrection. 
For broken like bread, he enlivens our body, and poured out like wine, he fills the earth with goodness. We praise you for the heart of Christ, filled with love for this earth. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread. They thanks, broken, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. O God, triune, you create the worlds, uphold the living, and embrace the dead. Send forth your spirit and renew the face of the earth. Strengthen us for our journey with this meal, the body and blood of Christ, and give us a future that trusts in you. For empowered by your promises, we rise from death to praise you again. Amen. Gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. This is the body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you.
Let us pray. Most high God, you have come among us at this table. By the Spirit's power, form us to be bearers of your word, sharing gifts of mercy and grace with all. Through Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, nice job. the assembly to have a seat. We'll be joys, concerns, announcements. I want to make a point of just thanking Ryan for acolyting today and doing like half and assisting Mr. Dunn. Thank you, Ryan. Okay, did anyone have anything? Jody, yes. Thank you, Jody. Anybody else? No. And, oh, yeah, Jane. Yeah. Oh, was, was that a wave or an announcement? 
Oh, okay, great. Okay, good. Uh, I think I didn't see anybody else. Uh, confirmation folks are going to hang out with me in the sanctuary. We're going to write some prayers for Epiphany. This week, we're going to run regular programming all week. So that's, I think, is book group meeting tomorrow? No. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll do Bible study Thursday, midweek programming Wednesday, so just normal week for us. Uh, and I want to remind you, uh, Christmas Eve at 6 p.m., we're going to have a formal thank you for John Havens. He's sort of wrapping up his two years as council president. You can either, so we're inviting people to thank him for his service. You can either write him a note by hand, or else you can shoot me an email, and I can transcribe your email. I'll do it in nice handwriting, uh, and I'll put that in a card for John. So I invite you to do that. Did anyone have any questions about Christmas? Yes. Christmas Eve, could you go up? There's three services, four, six, and eight? Yes. What's happening at each of them? I'm trying to decide yes. which one to come to. Okay, good. That was the perfect question. So four o'clock is lessons and carols. Lessons and carols is, there's a short reflection at the beginning that's like five minutes. It's a bunch of carols, a bunch of short readings from the prophets. Uh, there's no communion. It's sort of, if you want a lot of music and you just, that's really what you're looking for, that's your best bet. The 6 p.m. service is a sort of mass setting like this. Uh, that music is probably familiar to most of you. Uh, the 8 o'clock service, the music, we're going to try some more personal opinion. I think it's more interesting music at 8 o'clock. Um, so those are not the same. 4 has its own homily. 6 and 8 has its own homily. 10 a.m. Christmas Day, we have a supply organist. That's a sort of mass setting like this. That has its own homily. Uh, and then Sunday after, we'll do Spoken here at 9.30 with me. So which one is the best for children? Oh, it depends. If you're, if you're worried about kids getting bored, I would say 4 o'clock will move quickest. If you want kids to learn some interesting ways to do liturgy right, I would say 8. That's my opinion. So, up to you. Uh, yes, Jason. It's going to be fun. We, we have, I, I did a rough count the other day. We're going to do 20 different Christmas hymns over the three services. So we're going to cover a lot of ground. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. So uh, I will see you Friday, hopefully. Uh, I invite you to stand to receive the blessing. Dear friends, now is the time to wake out of sleep, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. May Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. Look for possibilities. Thanks be to God.
let's let's get a picture of us outside.
got to save that till Friday, man. Huh? I, you got you to save it till Friday. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm quitting all here. 